Welcome again to the Adra Canada Insider Podcast, and especially to the special series we are doing for our week of Adra Emphasis. Each podcast during this week, we are focusing on a different sector of the work that Adra does. I have here with me today, Frank Spangler, to speak with us about our livelihood work. So Frank, yes. welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be the guest this time. Yeah, <laughs> you were interviewing Mark Johnson for our, our kickoff to the week of Adra Emphasis. Yes, people should probably know that Heather is the official host of the Adra Insider podcast, especially as we go into 2022. And we were really hoping that you could host all of these, but you had some illness in the family. Yeah. So I'm really glad that uh, they're better and mm-hmm. that you're uh, now able to host. I was wondering how I was going to ask myself, interview myself. Uh, yeah, you, the... <laughs> you sent me a text saying, I guess I could have a split screen and I interview yeah. myself. Like, what was that? The parent trap. Yes, <laughs> I laughed so hard about that. As fun as that would have been, I'm glad I get to be here with you today to talk about our, our livelihood projects. It's wonderful to be the guest. I usually like to prefer to be behind the cameras. We'll just pretend they're not there. <laughs> as best as you can. So you have been working with Adra for a good long time, yes. over 30 years? Yes, my first film shoot was in uh, 1989, mm-hmm. and Adra really only got started in 85, so I've been there almost from the beginning. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I don't know if they could call me an elder statesman yet. I, elder statesman? I, I've got the gray hair anyway. Oh. <laughs> and the experience around the world, you've been... How many times do you think you've been on every, nearly every continent in the world? Maybe not well, Antarctica, but... Yeah, I, uh, about 10 years ago, added up the countries, uh, and it had come to around 50 then, and I've been to a number more since, so maybe 60 different countries. Wow, uh, that's amazing. Over the years, and uh, seen a lot of Adra's work, and I've always been so impressed about the way that Adra's changing people's lives and improving their lives and yeah you probably have seen a lot over the last 30 years so you weren't always with adra however uh, i've heard you refer to yourself as the pastor turned <laughs> photographer pastor turned photographer yeah. a lot of people smile at that especially when i tell people in africa mm-hmm. that i was once a pastor but now i'm a photographer um, i think a lot of them think i've maybe lost my way um, <laughs> no <laughs> But uh, yeah, usually it's the other way around. You know, somebody will start out as maybe as a photographer or some other career and then feel the call of God to become a, a pastor. Well, I think I, I kind of uh, have the reverse of that. Mm-hmm. Although I like to think that God had always planned for me to be a photographer. Mm-hmm. I felt like even as a child, I remember when I got my first camera, a little brownie camera. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen those a little square box. Uh, I remember even at seven or eight years old thinking, oh, this is what I want to do. Wow. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, as I grew older, my parents got me more equipment, darkroom equipment, and I was just in my mind thinking that I would be a photographer. But then I got sidetracked, you might say, into the ministry and um, was actually a pastor, served as a pastor in Moncton, New Brunswick for four years. Mm-hmm. But I found out that the Apostle Paul was right when he said, not everyone is a pastor, are they? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, there are many aspects about the uh, being a pastor that I did enjoy, but uh, I think my heart was always in photography, and video was coming on board at that time, too. Mm-hmm. This was the mid-'80s. And every summer in the Maritimes, I would uh, 
film and photograph the campers at Pugwash, Nova Scotia. And uh, he really enjoyed that. And one camp meeting, I think it was maybe even 89, um, the director then, or the executive director of ADRA Canada that had just started, John Howard, uh, saw what I was doing mm -hmm. with the camera. Mm -hmm. And uh, he um, asked me if I'd be interested in uh, doing some of this for ADRA Canada. And it sounded very interesting, but I didn't hear from him again for about three months. And in the meantime, I had moved to Bering Springs to do the seminary. Mm. And uh, then he called me and I said, well, I'm here now. I should probably follow through with our plans. But if you buy me some equipment, whenever I can break away, I'll, I'll go on a film shoot for ADRA. And that's how I got started. Mm -hmm. and so I, even though I finished the seminary, after I was finished uh, that program, I stayed by at Andrews and did um, studies in international development, which mm -hmm. is the type of work that ADRA does, mm -hmm. and uh, have been working primarily for ADRA since. Uh, I, first as a contractor and then more recently uh, have come to work right at the office here. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me that you were there from the early days of ADRA Canada or of ADRA itself really as an international humanitarian agency and you've seen how ADRA has learned and improved and grown in expertise and, mm -hmm. and you've evolved with all the technology development that's happened in that time and all throughout that just gathering these stories of impact which inspire all of us and remind all of us of the real reason we're here on earth which is to do for the least of these right to mm -hmm. take care of the ones that jesus would have taken care of if he were still here on earth and and by doing so to point them to our loving and merciful mm -hmm. and compassionate god so. yes i've always said that adra is the work of jesus mm -hmm. This is, this is the ministry that Jesus uh, performed while he was here on earth, it was, mm -hmm. was healing the sick and, and working with the poor. And uh, So I, I, I've always felt proud to be associated and, and working for ADRA. Mm -hmm. So, livelihood projects. Yes. I think, um, even still, for many people, they associate ADRA's work with emergency right. response, which is a lot of what we do, and it's very critical, life-saving work. But there is this other part of our work which is the development side it's improving people's health and their quality of life their access to education and to the ability to support themselves right so right. today we're going to talk about the foster project right. in nepal which has roots in something that took place in 2015 that you got to travel to be there immediately after can you tell us a little bit about what that event was yes i remember waking up one sabbath morning and as i always do i check the news to see you know what's happening in the world and here was an announcement that nepal had been struck with an earthquake mm -hmm. forget the magnitude 7.2 7 or 0.3 yeah. Yeah. yeah and that uh, over ten thousand lives they they thought were taken and Oh, my heart went out to the people that, because mm -hmm. I had been to Nepal three or four times before mm -hmm. and, and met them. I have friends there and I wondered how they're doing. Mm -hmm. A few hours later, uh, the director of our department calls me up and says, Frank, can you go to Nepal <laughs> <laughs> to uh, be a part of the emergency response team? Mm -hmm. And uh, of course I said yes. And uh, it was quite the experience to be over there. Uh, 
probably one of the most dramatic things was the aftershocks. I was going to ask about that. If you yeah. were there in the early days, you would have felt them because there were many. Yes. Yeah. Um, Adra put up the emergency team in kind of a rickety old hotel oh boy. <laughs> and I was on the second floor and so every time there was an aftershock you really felt it up mm -hmm. there and one day I was working away and things really started to shake mm -hmm. and I said this is more than just an aftershock mm -hmm. and it was lasting quite a long time and it got worse and more intense so I ran out onto the little balcony um, there and it was shaking wildly because I think the the whole part of that part of the hotel had come detached from the other part of the hotel in the first quake, mm -hmm. and so it was really moving around. I was afraid for my life, actually. Wow! Uh, that the whole thing was going to collapse and, and I'd be found in the rubble somewhere. Thank um, goodness that didn't happen. <laughs> yes, it uh, it was quite the experience and. It, but it helped me understand what the people were going through. Mm -hmm, My mm -hmm. knees were shaking and it affected me for days afterwards. Mm -hmm. Every time the ground would shake a little bit, I think, oh, this is, here's another one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it helped me empathize with the people. But uh, yeah, Nepal, um, lovely country. If you ever get a chance, did, did you get a chance? I did. You yes. did go to this, I went right? in yeah. November 2015, you know, a couple of months after the earthquake to gather stories on our immediate response helping people. So Wonderful. it was... So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned the Foster Project mm -hmm. and that's kind of what ADRA does. You know, oftentimes when there's an emergency, it brings us into the environment, into the theater we might call mm -hmm. and work immediately with the um, life-saving aspect of the crisis, but then we stay by. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the news cameras leave, mm -hmm. on, they're on to the next you know, world crisis, but Adra stays by and helps the people recover. Mm -hmm. And and that's what the you know the Foster Project is all about is to help people recover and mm -hmm. get their lives back. Yeah, it wasn't just lives that were lost or homes that were lost. It was livelihoods as well. You know, systems were damaged or people's access to things were damaged, and uh, all of that needs to be recovered and supported again. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to the video about Foster. So we've been talking about the Foster Project and we have a video now to share with you that shows some of the people's stories in the project and more about what the project is doing. On April 25, 2015, the country of Nepal experienced a devastating earthquake. Registering 7.8 on the Richter scale, the quake took the lives of 9,000 people. With most homes made of simple mud and brick, thousands of families living in remote regions lost everything. Adra was quick to respond with emergency supplies of food, hygiene essentials, and shelter kits. After the dust had settled and the news cameras had moved on to the next world crisis, Adra stayed on to help remote communities recover. Through a partnership with the Canadian Food Grains Bank, Adra Canada, together with Adra Nepal, 
initiated a project to help people rebuild their lives through a project of income generation assistance. The Foster Project organized participants into groups for training in small enterprise management. ADRA taught skills in literacy, numeracy, and simple business accounting. With the training, people were encouraged to start a small industry right on their farm, such as goat raising and market gardening. By providing gravity-fed water systems, some seeds, tools, and training, the Foster Project has transformed the lives of thousands of people in Nepal. Even now, with the Foster Project complete, the work of ADRA is continuing to have a ripple effect of positive change through many villages in rural Nepal. I am a goat farmer living in the Dotting district of Nepal. The Foster Project of ADRA has been a very big help for young farmers like me. It has really helped me get a much better foundation in goat farming. There were many things that I did not understand. I learned a lot about goat farming practices and animal health management. The Foster Project organized us into groups and provided us training on how to run a successful goat raising business. They taught us the importance of building a goat shed and showed us how we can increase the size of our herd. My husband and I decided to follow the advice and built a shed last March. We have noticed a real difference. Before we had a shed, we kept the goats in a pen with a dirt floor. It would get very dirty and muddy when they were kept on the ground. It would attract a lot of insects. The goats would frequently get sick. They would get a fever, cough, and sometimes lose their hair. Now that we are keeping them in a shed, they look so much better. The Adra training program taught us about different kinds of nutritious grass. We have started growing it on our farm. We mix these grasses together according to the recommended amounts and feed this to our goats. We supplement that with mineral blocks that Adra showed us how to make. With this new diet, our goats are now much healthier. We have seen a big increase in the weight they gain. We also now use deworming medication and get all the appropriate vaccinations. In the past, we lost many of our goats to sickness and disease. Now, by implementing all of the things that we learned from ADRA, we hardly lose any goats. The group bought a specialized breeding buck, and that has improved the quality of our herds a lot. We are finding it much easier to sell our goats in the market. In the past, we have hardly made any money from our goats. This year, we have already made 150,000 rupees from our goats. Now I no longer need to take out a loan to pay the school fees for my children. I am now confident that no matter what level they choose to go to in their education, I will be able to pay for it without any problem. We want to thank ADRA for all the help they have given us. Hasta namaste. Namaste. I am Januka, chairperson of the Adra Agricultural Group in our village. One of the biggest problems that we had in our village was a real shortage of water. The Foster Project of Adra has installed a multi-use water system. 
This has really changed our lives. Water security is no longer a problem, and this has opened up so many opportunities for income. Before Adra, we would only plant a small plot of land, and only during the monsoon season. Even then, we were not able to grow very much. We would grow vegetables without really knowing how, and our harvests were always very poor. In our foster group meetings, Adra gave us training on how to grow vegetables for income. We learned how to prepare the soil, the proper spacing for each kind of plant, along with how to make organic fertilizers and natural pesticides. We are now getting rich harvests and are able to sell our vegetables in the market for a good income. In our home, we used to rely completely on my husband's income. Now, with the water issue solved and the new growing techniques that I have learned, I have already earned 90,000 rupees. I am now able to meet the household expenses through the sale of my vegetables. I am so happy with this new income that I am expanding my farm to grow even more vegetables. I wish to thank Adra for all that they have done to help me and our village. As part of being a member of the ADRA Foster Project, I was offered support to get the materials that I needed to build a plastic greenhouse so that I could start commercial vegetable farming. Before ADRA came and gave us training, we would randomly sow seeds in a small plot of land. They never did well due to overcrowding and poor plant health. After going through the training, I gained a lot of confidence on what was possible, and I decided to expand my farm. I now have four greenhouses. I am so grateful that ADRA came along with their training and support. It has been very good for me and my family. I am very happy. When ADRA came to my home and asked if I would be interested in joining a farmer's group, I told them that I didn't even know how to write my own name, and I hesitated to join. But they encouraged me, and I did. Right away they got us started with some seeds and training. We decided to give vegetable farming a try. We leased some land and started planting. We then talked with some of the local landowners and made arrangements to do sharecropping. We are growing cauliflower, potatoes, maize, cucumber, and beans. The address staff have been great. They visit our farm giving advice from their experience and knowledge. They taught us how to make our own fertilizer and pesticides, and they told us that we can contact them at any time if we notice any disease in the plants. I have built relationships with vegetable vendors who buy our produce at a good price. We have no problem selling everything that we grow. We used to work as day laborers. We now realize that it is a lot better to work for ourselves than to work for others. I find that working for myself is much more satisfying. Prior to joining ADRA, we were struggling. I am now able to manage all of our expenses from our profits. We are even able to send our kids to school. Before ADRA came and started the foster project here, we used to only grow maize. We planted it on an unirrigated upland plot that we own. Our yields were very poor. It was not really enough to even supply our family table for six months of the year. ADRA helped our village construct a multiple-use water system. This has provided 
enough water for the whole village. Before the Adra project, the only way that we could irrigate our gardens was by collecting water from a stream with a pail. Now we have a water supply right in our own yard. We have enough for our domestic use and irrigation. Now that we have water, we can grow the kinds of vegetables that we have always wanted to grow. I am now growing onions, potatoes, garlic, and pumpkin. With the training that Adra provided, we have even started growing vegetables for market. With the plastic house that we were given by the Adra project, I am also growing tomatoes. I have realized that we can make a good income from growing vegetables. I am very thankful to Adra for all that they have taught us. Okay, we are back. When I was watching this video, Frank, what stood out to me is the contrast between the people sharing their stories in the Foster Project and the people who are sharing their stories with me when I was there a few mm. months after the earthquake. You know, everywhere we went, we saw the damage and the rubble of the earthquake and everyone we talked to, you know, it's still, it was still very fresh for them, the trauma of it, the loss. And, um, you know, of course there were tears, there was a laundry list of things that they needed to get back on their feet and there was just this feeling of um, on their part hopelessness and on our part what more can we do mm -hmm. and then when I see the people sharing their stories in the foster project they're smiling, mm -hmm. they're standing up tall and I just think that's a marvelous transformation to see. Yes and I think what always impresses me is how inexpensive the mm. project really is mm -hmm. it doesn't take a lot to help people get back on their feet mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of moral support a mm -hmm. little bit of education um, uh, perhaps maybe some startup cash mm -hmm. uh, and usually it's a small loan that people pay back so that doesn't cost uh, adra anything mm -hmm. and uh, uh, with just a small investment you can bring a whole community up. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like too, um, you know, maybe they were doing some of these activities, whether goat farming or agriculture, prior to the earthquake. Um, but now with the trainings and the education and the learning, they're doing it even better. So their, their lives aren't just getting back to what it was before. It's actually even better in spite of this devastating catastrophe that took place. Yes. Yeah. People were saying that they were trying to get uh, uh, make some money by raising goats mm -hmm. but they found that the goats often got sick and died before they could take them to market and so it was always like they were almost losing money mm -hmm. trying to raise goats and so people became discouraged they stopped trying but now Adra came in they taught them a few key principles about how to raise healthy goats in every village that they worked uh, in the foster project they always found one individual in the village that they took aside to special training mm -hmm. to teach them simple principles of doing um, veterinarian work mm -hmm. and so they were able to give the goats the shots and, and do different things that would normally be 
prohibitively expensive for the people mm. to bring in a, a guy. And uh, so just some simple things that didn't cost much changed everything for mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. The people participating in this foster project are not only earthquake survivors, they mm. are people who have had to face some significant obstacles in life in general, right? Sure, they yeah. are remote communities who have to go far in order to access services and mm -hmm. um, transportation could be an issue. Um, well, Even getting their, their produce to market. On time. Yeah, yeah, it can cost more to get your, your vegetables to the market than what you would make in selling them there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people don't even bother. Right. So this livelihood project is really making a huge impact for these people mm -hmm. in their ability to support themselves and, and in their ability to have a better quality life. And, you know, this, of course, isn't the first livelihood project. I remember when I was first coming on board in the 90s, John Howard, again, mm -hmm. um, explained to me how the work of ADRA is really all about teaching people how to fish. You know, the famous saying that if you feed, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but if you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's really what ADRA is all about, is giving people a hand up. Mm-hmm rather than a handout. Of course, we do that in emergencies because people have lost everything. Mm -hmm. We have to give them food and, and shelter, shelter and water, water yeah. medicines. That's the handout. But normally speaking, we're giving them a hand up to mm -hmm. get a, a better start in life and uh, be able to support their families for the rest of their lifetime by just teaching them a few skills. You know, a lot of the communities, especially these remote communities you're talking about, people have not had a chance, uh, the older people have not had a chance to go to school. Mm -hmm. Or if they went to school, they only went to grade one or two. Mm -hmm. So they may not even know how to read. And so for them to all of a sudden start a small business, it's a little bit difficult. Mm -hmm. But if ADRA comes in and teaches them how to read, how to do a little bit of math so that they don't get cheated in the marketplace, mm -hmm. numeracy we call it, and some basic skills, um, how to start a small shop or how to grow some vegetables, how to grow, raise some goats, these types of things, and then give them a small loan to get them started, to buy the, the essential materials that they need to get their business off the ground. And all of a sudden you see people that were, were starving before, mm -hmm. now able to feed their families, send their kids to school. And have enough leftover for markets, right? Yes. To, to earn an income on top of feeding their families, yeah. The concept of the small loan was something that started in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. It was another organization. Was it the Grameen Bank? The Grameen Bank, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Uh, and Adder picked up on that very mm -hmm. early. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think that was the first place that I saw the small loan program was in Bangladesh mm -hmm. and how it changed people's lives. And the big banks, of course, were laughing because they thought it would fail. Mm-hmm that people would never repay those loans. You give people like that some money, you'll never see it again. Mm -hmm. But we found that the repayment schedule was almost 100%. Wow. People were so grateful that they no longer had to pay three, 400% interest at the loan shark in the yeah. marketplace yeah. that uh, they uh, respected ADRA to pay that loan back. Mm -hmm. But not all loans came directly from ADRA, if I understand. Like ADRA, following the Grameen Bank model, would help communities establish their own small groups. 
Yes, that was part of it as well. Savings and loans, right? They would start little groups where uh, Adra might invest in the group to get it started, mm-hmm. little startup cash. Yeah. But then they would uh, form these small groups, and people would come in and every week make a donation to the to the bank itself. Not a donation, but a, a deposit. Into the, in, a deposit. Yeah, yeah, that's better. Uh, and and they're building up their own savings. Mm-hmm. And these are the unbanked. Mm-hmm. They don't really even know about how to start a bank account, but all of a sudden they have a savings plan. Mm -hmm. And if any one member of the group faces an emergency, they can draw a a small loan from the group bank Mm -hmm. and uh, not have to pay the huge interest rates from the loan sharks. Mm -hmm. And uh, if they want to start a small business and need to buy some tools, they can get the loan from that little Mm -hmm. bank. Yeah, And uh, it's so successful and the people paid back their loans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's amazing to have access to that kind of capital, that kind of support going forward, that uh, peace of mind to know that when your family runs into those emergencies, there's something to fall back on, right? Yes, and yes. Um, and that it's, it's shared amongst the community members. There's relationships there, there's trust there, there's also social pressure to pay back on your loan. You know, it's, it's built in. Uh, yes, into- you might've noticed one lady in the, in the video mentioning that now she has enough money to send her child to school. Yeah, it seems like many people were saying that. Yeah, I, it's something that I've noticed not only in Nepal, but everywhere. Mm-hmm. One of the things that people do when they are able to make a little extra money is mm-hmm. always support their children. They mm-hmm. want their children to have a better life than mm-hmm. they had. They want to make sure that their children get an education. And mm-hmm. Oftentimes the resources just aren't there. They might have six children and be able to send one to school and that might be the oldest boy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But now all of a sudden they have enough money to send all of their kids, even the girls, That's <laughs> you know, they say, to school. And yeah. it's like one of the big things that they do with the extra money. They always mention that when mm-hmm. I do the interviews. Now we can send our kids to school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, it really, I think, speaks to... Uh, how responsible they are mm-hmm. with the money that the new money that they're getting mm-hmm. and, and making sure that they're investing in their family, investing in their children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times I think people worry that, yeah, we go and help the poor, but they'll just use the money to go to the bars or right. something like yeah. that. Yeah. But that has not been my experience. Right. Yeah. Um, the people. Uh, and it's usually the the woman of the house that's managing all of this, mm-hmm. and she makes sure that uh, the money is being spent uh, on the family and mm-hmm. invested back into the family. And yeah, that really speaks to the generational impact of this kind of work. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, you give a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach him the fish, you feed him for a lifetime, but you also get his kids to school, yes. so they have better opportunities, and it just keeps and then their children will have better opportunities and just keeps flowing forward from that one project where the parents learned some skills had some access to capital and support and were able to do better for themselves and their and their children and that's amazing like you said that something so simple and so inexpensive could have that kind of generational impact is really inspiring and wonderful. Yeah, I have to say that uh, over the 30 years that I've been filming, I think this is one of the projects that I I like the most, to see the livelihood projects and how it changes people's lives, to be lifted up out of poverty and be able to be guaranteed 
a way to support their family for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And set them on a a trajectory of continuing that momentum and improving upon it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Frank, for being with us today. Yes, it was great to be here and be the guest today. Yeah, I was going to say for (laughs) graciously stepping out from behind the cameras to share with us. We really enjoyed the time. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you all for watching this installment of our ADRA Insider podcast, uh, part of this special series for the week of ADRA emphasis. I'd like to invite you to go to our website um, to see what other resources we have available and to see the special upcoming events we have for this week. I think you'll see lots there that you'll really enjoy. Meet us back here tomorrow for the next episode in a special series where I will have as a special guest, Michael Kirkby, and he'll be sharing with us about our nutrition projects. 